You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. You have tuned in to 3CR's program Behind Closed Doors. This program explores all topics related to sex work. We give sex workers and allies a comfortable space to share their experiences. We also appreciate questions from the general public. Behind Closed Doors aim to uncover what the sex industry is really like. Our program exists to bridge the gaps. Please be mindful, this program is not suitable for little years as there may also be explicit language use. Please connect with us on Twitter at bcd3cr or email us at bcd3cr at gmail.com. Hi everyone and welcome to Behind Closed Doors on 3CR 855 AM and digital. Please be advised, this episode of Behind Closed Doors has content and trigger warnings regarding relationships and domestic violence. We also list resources and support services at the end of this show. Hi everyone, I'm Dean and welcome to Behind Closed Doors. We are Australia's only sex worker radio show on community radio station 3CR 855 AM and digital radio. Join myself, Sassy. Hi Dean. And Kitty. Hi Dean. For part two of our chat with Melissa Brown, a counsellor and social worker with experience supporting victim survivors of domestic violence. And welcome to Melissa Brown. Hi there. With when hearing, for me, my clients talk about some of the details that they have experienced in the abuse, I'm humbled that I have not had to rise to a challenge like that in the way that they've had to come through a journey of immense stress and life-threatening situations. I think as a society, I think we take for granted that if we don't hear about it, there's nothing else to worry about, nothing going on. And I think that's, I think that's wrong because... that's the trouble in it, right, Melissa? Because so much of this family violence takes place behind closed doors and people don't talk about it in public space. And I think for the sex work industry, the barriers alone are there already for the respect that you should receive and yet can be compromised in people's judgments or stigmas or opinions. And so consequently, I think that adding another level of where the intimacy of a family violence or domestic abuse situation would make somebody question again another layer of how do I trust, how do I share, how do I even reach out. We know for a fact that one in seven victim survivors, it takes them seven times before they actually eventually do go that final step to reach out. So you can imagine seven times you've got to try getting past those barriers within yourself to eventually say, I've had it. I can't do it. I don't have the strength anymore. I need to show my vulnerability to to get help. You know, it shouldn't be like that. We shouldn't feel like it takes somebody seven times to feel that they could reach out. Just remember that your story is a privilege for those whom you consent to share with. And that you are not alone. So 
it's a really hard situation. I have been in this personally myself. And uh, I just want to encourage you to know that whenever you are ready, there are systems to support you and to remember that whomever you speak to about your intimate personal situation, that person should feel honored and privileged that they should be trusted with that type of knowledge. And interestingly enough, sometimes a victim survivor might not even realize that they're going through an abusive relationship until after they've come out of it. And I say that from my that own is true. experience. Yep, that is um, true. Again, touching on a base there that some, some victim survivors I've talked to, um, they've come to me about another issue in their relationship. And then as you start unpacking what else is going on or how they're interacting with their partner or, you know, the kinds of disrespect they are putting up with and they dismiss as like, well, oh, that's just how they are or who they are. When you then start saying, well, you know what, that's a choice they're making. That's not, that shouldn't be your responsibility to fix that. That shouldn't be your problem to, to wear, you know, when they come and say, you made me do this or you forced me to act like this, or if you had done what I said, you know, then I wouldn't be like this. And so consequently, we can become conditioned until eventually we lose, we lose sight of ourselves. We lose sight of our own identity, our self-esteem, our feeling of integrity, and looking out for our own self-care. We are a society that like also looks at being selfish as a wrong thing. Wait a minute. If you're being in a violent situation or if you're being abused, hey, we need to step up and help that person to say, yeah, selfishness is important here because your life's at risk. Mm. You're being put into a situation to ex accept somebody else's mistakes. They need to be held accountable. They need to be held responsible. Not you. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm a big advocate for this. I really, I, I do not like people being bullied or crapped on. Seriously. Whether or not someone is a sex worker, they deserve oh, that yeah. support and they deserve access to speak to someone that who right. can understand the trauma that they are going through. That is exactly right. I really, it does. It really gets to me. Tune into the station that gives voices to sex workers. Subscribe to 3CR. You have been listening to Behind Closed Doors. We have been chatting to Melissa Brown. Recently, the Victorian police has reached out to LGBT community that they want to understand them more. For the LGBT community to teach them, police in Victoria has always been a problem for the LGBT community mm -hmm. in the past. Mm -hmm. How can your service improve with, with communication, especially with the authorities? When I work within the courts, I will work alongside police prosecutors and also members of the police force if they're part of a case and in trying to advocate for clients I will take an education approach if anything to try and support my client and advocate appropriately a position that is not just purely a tunneled approach with legislation and the roles that police force have to embody. I appreciate so much in their incredible role that they have to deal with a lot of confrontational stuff and we need people out in the community to do that. I think education is a really important component. I'm hoping they will embrace more in the space of LGBTQTI as well be open to the space of 
particularly because uh, we're here in the in the space of talking about sex work, as well to a to also embrace a more open mind and non-judgmental approach to also sex workers who may be transgender and working in that space. My experience with police has been mixed, especially working in a family violence industry. I have found reports that some stations have been very close-minded, old boys school, dismissive and then there's been other stations or police officers that I've worked with that have been very embracing and supportive and have moved mountains to try and help clients that I've been working with. I think there still needs to be a lot of work done in the police whether it starts at the academy with um, more education or whether there's training that once they leave the academy and they're out in the workforce and they're doing their practical job that there is more professional development in that space. It's a changing environment for them. I, again, respect them greatly, but there are those that still also, I think, lose sight and not have a uh, open mind to everybody needs help. I share the exact same sentiment with you, Melissa, because I have so much respect for those who are working in such a difficult role, such as mm. what the police has. But at the same time, I understand the frustration that comes from community when they have no one to turn to. And then mm. when they reach out, when they muster the courage um, and yep. they're not able to receive that level of service delivery that they should receive, it is extremely discouraging yeah and it can also unintentionally create helplessness within the victim survivor as well and when there is helplessness unfortunately the victim survivor goes back to their perpetrator yep. and lives that cyclical vicious cycle of abusive yep. relationship and that's not what we want no 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 it can be yeah i i think when yeah when we have that chance for a victim survivor to reach out and get support or get help or really saying this is now life threatening to have especially a first responder like a police officer deter that in some capacity can be extremely damaging and then it takes so much longer for them that victim survivor to feel well how else am i going to get out of this if they aren't there for me correct me if i'm wrong but from my understanding police officers at the first rank have only up to two hours of training when it comes to responding to family violence and that whereas sergeants have up to two weeks of training that is exactly what i've heard as well the limitations on uh, that education still i think needs to be looked at uh, but you are right from what i I understand it is very limited and yet it's a majority of their everyday work that's the interesting thing in some of the offices that I've talked to or the stations that I work with they have said that majority is responding to family violence so I don't know why there can't be more invested in supporting a connection of knowledge that then gives them the tools better to work with victim survivors from any cohort or socioeconomic space or profession. Let me share with our listeners a concrete example of what happened to a friend of mine who is an ex-sex worker and this can apply to anyone sex worker or not so what had happened was she felt very unsafe she rung the police the police attended and the perpetrator was out front and given that 
the perpetrator was out front. He greeted the police, said that his partner was going crazy and that she was violent and he was so glad the police had arrived or else who knows what would have happened to him. And the police believed him. And I think where her heart Mm. sank was that the police officers who attended were also women, but yet they had no understanding that many Mm. victim survivors are women as well. How can we improve this service delivery from authorities? I would encourage victim survivors hold police accountable. And your story is not foreign to me at all, Kitty. I've had a client who was a walk-in at Melbourne Magistrate. She had called her local police station three times that she was trying to escape from the perpetrator within the house. On the fourth time, she locked herself in the bathroom, grabbed her mobile, had her feet pushed up against the door of the bathroom to stop the perpetrator to come and knife her, talking to the police officer on the phone at her local station. And he said, stop calling us. We're going to block your number because this is now harassment. And She left, she escaped, she came straight down to the courts as a walk-in for an IVO. And that's how I heard her story. I took that straight to the police prosecutor and say, this has got to stop. This particular station, and I will not mention them, have got this mentality. This is an example of how far a victim survivor had to go. My blood is just boiling. How can we keep these police officers accountable? How can we encourage accountability within within the group of authorities that people should be reporting to, that people need to be going to to get support? It's a hard ask, I know. Myself, when I have dealt with police, I don't try to take an authority back at them, but I'll say, I'm sorry, is is this the situation that this is the only help you can provide me? Is there additional help you can give me? So for instance, the story of particularly your friend there, it's not foreign to me. In a utopia world, I would have probably wanted to say to those police officers, I'm sorry, I need to talk to only one of you because those police officers need to not be colluding with the perpetrator. They need to be acting in a separatist approach that they are collecting information from all parties involved and that therefore that helps then the victim survivor, that helps the the actual process of, of justice in our community. That is hard to say. I agree. That is hard to say because when you have just had the crap beaten out of you or you've just been threatened your life and you've got to try and find one more ounce of energy to say when the police arrive, Hey, you you there, can you come and talk to me as well? I think we need to also change the dynamics from coming down from the top that's also saying we need to be better practice. We need to do... It needs to be done from top down. Yeah, they follow the rules. And this is important that if anybody in authority is also listening to this, we need to not hold like this segmented approach of how we look at society and... They'll be right. It's the next person or the next guy's problem. We've got to Mm. collaborate. Mm. We've got to work together. It needs to be holistic. Exactly. Because a young, you know, constable is going to be inexperienced. They're learning only from what they've gotten from the academy. They're thrown into situations that can be quite volatile. And we are going to be relying on their superiors to help them know what is good practice, how to collaborate, be sensitive, be understanding, still maintain the law, of course. I think a holistic approach is very important here. With regard to the specific example that I'm providing, that victim survivor actually said that she felt the most unsafe when the police were around. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I would believe that. One of the things that I say in my training with um, a lot of community service workers is to look at if you're in a critical situation, call the police first. And yet my compromising situation is that when I talk to victim survivors in the court, they go, the person who saved me was actually my neighbour or somebody I worked with. I wasn't going to call the police again because they weren't there for me the first time I tried it. And I'm like, that's sad. It should not be the case. No, it shouldn't. How can we, as public members of our community, protect other people? May it be our neighbours, our sex worker peers, or people whom we just so happen to pass by at the shops or at the train station. How can we do it in a safe way that when we see abuse taking place, how can we step in and protect one another? You know, when a perpetrator is evidently talking down to their partner, what can we do to stand in that line and help protect them or show the perpetrator that that type of behavior is not appropriate? How can we be that perfect or that close to perfect active Call, bystander? The calling it out? The calling yes, it out calling person. it out. The yes. calling down. I often try and make my presence known in a nonverbal way. Or if I feel that there is serious situation escalating, I will ignore the person who's con- conducting the abuse and instead focus my time and attention on the person who's receiving it. And I will say, are you all right? Are you okay? Now, yeah, it sort of gets me into trouble when the abuser is then standing by and they'll go, hey, you know, get out of the effing way or this has nothing to concern you. I'm like, I hear that, but you're doing, you're doing yourself an in-service because everybody else is also hearing it too. And so I'm not going to listen to you. I want to make sure the person who's hearing it or getting it is safe. That's who I am. I want to make sure people are safe. And so if that person then says, I'm okay, thank you. I said, okay, as long as I'm just checking in. Because the difference is in stepping up that attention, one, the perpetrator is like going, oh, crap somebody's now really noticed my behavior I didn't want it to get to that far but okay I'm going to have to tone it down so for that split second they got to rethink their behavior right then instead of feeling like they're on this trajectory that they own the world and life is about them it's the center of the universe right secondly it gives some assurance for that quick second for the victim to say saying thank god somebody's noticed this too And I can raise my hand and attest to that because when I was going through an abusive family violence relationship, I had two random people who were on a different platform at the train station who yelled across the train tracks and said, hey, what's going on? Are you okay? Yeah. You want us to come over? Yeah. And automatically, you know, my then husband toned down and, and said let's go home you know and and for the rest of the night he didn't speak he didn't hurt me he didn't yeah. hit me and yeah. there was no more argument yeah um, and for that split second he thought twice about his actions now obviously his actions didn't change no um, but I always look back to the night and I'm always so grateful to whomever yeah. those yeah. good Samaritans were yeah. um, who were able to be that active bystander who was able to call it out and name that behavior uh, that yeah. wasn't appropriate. Yeah. And for that quick second, you got that neutrality of space, like mental and emotional space. I guess as a victim survivor in that space, I also realized that, oh, I guess the way my partner spoke to me wasn't right. 
I guess someone yeah. else also yeah. saw yeah. that the way he spoke to me shouldn't happen. And and yeah. what's sad was it's happening all the time at home behind closed yeah. doors, yeah. you know, and yeah. my home is supposed to be my safe space, but it wasn't my safe space. And it was definitely one of the moments at the very early beginning that got me thinking, maybe I'm not in a safe relationship. Maybe this yeah. is not the relationship for the rest of my life. Because, you know, coming yeah. from a very devout Christian home, the person whom you marry is the person whom you're going to be with for the rest of your life, regardless of what happens yeah. in that relationship. Yeah. But it does take guts. And I, you know, I think it's so important that we really need to be there for others instead of turning a blind eye. I'm not going to get involved. Somebody else will do it, whatever. I mm. think we need to be that person in, in being a champion for supporting others. Especially from my, <laughs> I suppose, migrant Asian uh, right. culture, a lot of my culture tends to sweep these type of uh, stressful situations below the carpet and we tend to close an eye wow. and pretend yeah. that it's not happening within the husband and wife or the two partners of the relationship. So I just want to encourage those who are listening to be that bystander, yeah. to be that yeah. active bystander and to call it out because your voice matters and your voice can change and can protect yeah. and yeah. can help victim survivors. I agree. I totally agree. You're listening to Behind Closed Doors on 3CR, 855 AM. This is Kitty Galore. You're with Dean Lim, Sassy Sin and Melissa Brown. We had a chat about the LGBTQI community and how we are proud that there are some elements of improvements happening in that space, getting more and more support when it comes to family violence. Melissa, you had something to add to that? Well, I was just uh, asking about that when this change is evolving as to what kind of impact then if you were working in the sex work industry, does that same kind of shift and change with empathy and open-mindedness still exist once you have disclosed then you're also maybe a sex worker? My understanding is in the sex work industry, police and emergency services or community services, there are those challenges for sex workers to get the equivalent support they deserve like anybody else but yet the, the there's a sort of sense of discrimination or I don't want to touch that or I'm not going near that or and that would concern me only because of the profession you choose that stops the whole help happening. What's your experience, Sassy? It's always with my friends who are sex workers, trans sex workers who have been a victim of a violence and has call authorities like police and I think they have been uh, very supportive towards them. I can think of, of one experience in the past where this trans sex worker uh, was involved with this. I think he's a clientele and there's also drugs involved as well. So and things got really violent in the room. She was a private sex worker so the police was called and they went to court. I guess there was a support on her side because she was a sex worker and that was her client. Mm. She actually called triple zero when that happened. She reached out for her phone and, uh, and called triple zero. And the police came and arrested that guy. And then they went to court because she was badly um, beaten up. In my migrant sex worker communities, what I have found is when we 
tried to support a migrant worker. She got all the supports that she needed up to when she disclosed that she was a sex worker. And then, boom, instantly within that minute, the lawyer who was helping out said this is beyond her capacity. She cannot help someone who's been doing sex work and that that particular client needed to go to the AFP. Now, obviously, the sex worker didn't want to go to the Australian Federal Police because she would fear that she would be deported. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's what we want to do, right? We want to encourage all our listeners Mm. that despite the fact the service delivery is not perfect yet Mm. and could be far from it, we want to encourage people to still call triple zero whenever they are in danger Mm. um, and to seek supports that result as you know from that situation and where mm. need be as melissa brown has said keep police accountable you know mm. go back make file complaints where necessary and get mm. the supports you need so that you can do those things because together only together can we start improving our communities but how do you even think of other places to call instead of the police if that actually happened then then yeah exactly if you're looking at a critical incident that's life-threatening or possible serious injury, you'd have to still go with the police in the respect of life-saving. Now, with police, they'll stay within their mandate. But if you're looking for where there is definitely a, a negative impact of an engagement that has caused greater harm to that person's experience, and then I think that needs to be taken higher whether it's a division superintendent or senior sergeant take it to also your local mp they're a government agency that is held accountable within a lot of laws and so do we need to go back to those same organizations that oversee how those government agencies work together and then bring it to their attention. I know at the Royal Commission into Family Violence, the police were constantly held accountable for their reactions and responses. And the commissioners were very much around trying to shift perspective, shift understanding, shift how legislation is interpreted and what what serious changes they need to make in attitude. I say this with utter confidence that all of us here today, we absolutely hope that from the rolling action plan that will take place Mm. within the next several years, that we will see improvements with regards to the provision of service delivery when it comes to police authorities as well. If people who've had unfortunate experiences with police, the Police Accountability Project would be ideal for taking those uh, concerns and claims to calling and making a report there. And also because our community is seeing such a slow change that's rolling out, we need to start creating change ourselves within our public space. I think we need to make sure that we are maintaining conversation, talking, sharing, reaching out. I think In the sex work industry, it's no different to any other industry. You have a collective that everybody's there to help each other and everybody sort of gets to know certain people that are going to be the go-to people to go and get support or have that leadership or supervision. And I think when working in that space, are there going to be those that can also talk to experience that then provides a comfort? provides a safe place to talk and share and then also be a person that to support when the person who's experiencing the abuse can 
step outside of that sort of cocoon to then get the next level of engagement with services. I feel that in working in family violence, it's taken me some time to really get to know where I can recommend or refer clients to that will be appropriate for exactly what they need. It's not a everybody can do everything. Taking on board what Melissa has shared with us in the last two episodes, I guess what I'm really seeing here is that we're all in this together and we need to remember that life isn't easy in general and it's even harder when you find yourself trapped in a relationship with a perpetrator and therefore my message to anyone who's willing to listen is to not give up know that you're not alone and know that there is there really really is help out there I promise you there is and even though you may have had bad experiences whether it's with police or certain types of service delivery please don't give up Mm. Please know that Mm. there are other people willing to stand in that line to help and that there are forms of keeping those authorities or those service delivery organizations accountable. Mm. Um, And it's, you know, about mustering that courage again, reaching out for that help. And, you know, I... I don't know your situation, um, but I just want to apologize for wherever that person has let you down. Mm. And I want to say, please be encouraged that things are being done and we need to hear your voice. We need to know Mm. how we can help. I also agree with everybody's input here. Don't give up. We are here to help. We've got your back. I just want you to remember there are people out there who've got your back and that not to give up, reach out, find that strength and get the support if you need it. You deserve it. You deserve to be respected. You deserve to be living safely and you deserve to being a person of of wonderful worth and you are worthy. You are worthy. You are valid. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Mm. That's right. You are loved. What a wonderful way to end this episode. (laughs) If you were needing additional support in the family violence space, we've got the National 1800 Respect Number, we've got Safe Steps, we've got Casa House, we've got Orange Door, and those are services that no matter who is calling or where they're from or how they work are there for anybody's use to get support there is also men's line you've been listening to kitty galore dean lim sassy sin and melissa brown melissa thank you so much for your time oh my pleasure i love what i do and thank you so much for letting me come and have a chat with you guys about it this is sia titanium
Bulletproof, nothing to lose. Fire. 